like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome back to the Essence Podcast. Sam was just pointing out to me that we have a new intro this week. Yeah, pretty exciting, right? I mean... Most of you guys are probably skipping it by now, so go back and listen to it. It's cool. It's new. It's new stuff. Today, we have an ultimate topic for you. You'll be relieved to know that we won't be talking about anyone's story or anything like technology. We are going all the way to the root of what are the ultimate things in human experience. I know. We're going to stop just twiddling our thumbs with the small stuff. Today's podcast comes following a series of events including but not limited to the loss of friends, the loss of the family dog this week, yesterday. Morgan says there are no ordinary days, which is a kind of helpful thing for me when I found myself waiting for sort of the normal week where nothing dramatic happens. Still waiting for that week. But sometimes they seem to all come in together and there is what we would call A hard season. I was watching the Fury tank film trailer as part of a Ransom Tart event. What I was struck by was the tank commander's worldview, which is actually accurate. But here's this line. If you think it can't get worse, it can and it will. The dying's not done. The killing's not done. Fairly upbeat fellow. Fairly upbeat fellow. So the thing about this guy is that he's right. I think there's a uh, there's an inclination in me to view sort of each hard season as difficult as it can be. And the problem with that is, is my evaluation of... The quality of my life is linked entirely with what is going on. And we're going to get pretty deep into why that can be a problem. There's a lot of ways this can get kind of pessimistic, if I'm honest, the way that I'm listening to it. Um, I think for me, I experienced some of it as like that holding your breath just until the hard thing is over with, like then, then real life can start again. But then something else happens or something else happens and you end up with a lot of just trying to skip through what is truthfully a lot of our lives. Right. The interesting thing about the tank commander and Fury is that frank evaluation is actually trying to tell something very helpful that you can see echoed in people like Paul the Apostle where it doesn't sound that different than We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
or elsewhere. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. So, have we even said what we're talking about today yet? We, we haven't said. Oh, well, I think it's we should. What we're talking about today is hope. Surprise! <laughs> I know all those negative things. If it sounded like we were talking about darkness, <laughs> we're talking about hope. Right, because that's uh, the daily. I think I, I have a hard time looking at perspective and kind of the grand scheme of things. And I, I know that I have these moments where I'm like, okay, you know, like things are going to get better or uh, Jesus might come back, which would be really awesome. And yet then I think if I'm honest, nine out of 10 times, there's this posture of like, no, we're just going to keep moving towards entropy and I'm going to live out my life and the world's going to hopefully get maybe better. But that's kind of on like a medicine and availability that accessibility to the internet type thing rather than all of a sudden everyone's like decent. Yeah. Hope is a fascinating topic because I guess where we got to this conversation is what do you do about hope in view of the fact that Paul the Apostle and Fury Tank Commander, whose name is escaping me, are right. I remember... Bing Crosby. I don't know if he published it or if it was like a letter he sent, but his sort of evaluation of the world, Bing Crosby, white Christmas singer, his evaluation of the world upon his death was pretty pessimistic. And it included the phrase, I'm just glad I'm leaving this world instead of coming into it. Like he looked at the trajectory of things and just went, oh man, what a shit show it's become. And see, then- see you later, suckers. And it's not enough to, you know, respond to Bing Crosby and be like, you're wrong. There are good things happening. While that is true, you do have to reconcile. You do have to grapple with uh, the sort of, if you think it can't get worse, it can. And it will. Like, the dying's not done. The killing's not done. And go, oh my goodness. If that is actually true and... We're not making a case for overwhelming pessimism and depression here. No, no, no. And that's not us um, kind of giving way to fatalism or something like that. Jesus promises us that. Jesus promises more suffering. Right. Well, he simply just goes, there has to be something in your worldview that accounts for the reality of multiplying difficulty in the world. And so... What we want to do in the sort of remainder of this conversation or in the bulk of this conversation is talk about what do you do then, if that's true? What kind of thing does hope have to be in order to survive that world? Yeah, I think I've said many, many, many times on this podcast and the Ransom Heart podcast, my uh, sort of incredulity with the everyday the non-believers ability to hope or to be a decent person like kudos to you guys if there wasn't the hope of resurrection or if there wasn't the hope of a life after this one and almost every religion has a life after this one christianity is a somewhat no a completely unique vision and promise like if you didn't have that how how do you handle 
in our case of yesterday, putting your dog down. Right. right. What do you, how do you handle your parents dying? How do you handle your children dying? How do you handle the wars going on all over the world? How do you, the, you can't, there's no, I'm like floored without some kind of hope. And yet the secular world is totally aware of the power of hope. It's used in elections. It's used in movies. It's used in, I can't like stop thinking about Star Wars. Like the amount of times it's thrown around in their movies these days, it's like the ultimate super weapon is the Rebellions are built on hope. It's hope. Yeah, and like the basic premise of hope is that there is something we are moving towards that is better than the way things are now. And if you don't have Jesus, that's limited to the next, I don't know, 10 to 60 years you might be around for. Right. The argument being that there is something in Jesus that actually stokes the hope furness, which is at the core of every human being. I think it's Gabriel Marcel, though I should fact check myself, who said, hope is to the soul what oxygen is to the organism. There's this need that the thing that is the human being thrives on hope, this confident assurance of goodness, not only goodness coming, but of goodness already available that is born out of a worldview, right? So hope gets talked about quite a bit, I find, or maybe it's because when you start researching hope, you start thinking, everybody's talking about this. But it's true that it's in Star Wars, and it's in all the nonprofits, and it's on the coffee shop walls, and it's more complex than the hope on the coffee shop wall seems to suggest. I guess I always like to start sort of in the apophatic way. I like to start. No one knows what that word means other than you. <laughs> it's easier to define things by what they're not sometimes. And while that method is limited, it's helpful with hope to go. Is this just, I'm using the word just, so obviously I think it's not. But is this the, I don't know, is this the belief that something good is eventually going to come down the pipeline? In which case I would go, I think that's just optimism. Like, mm. that things might eventually take a turn for the better. That's, that's not hope. That's just kind of trying to put a sunny face on reality. Or, you know, is it only eternity? Is it like, you go, well... That's where things get kind of complicated because yes and no, when you begin a conversation about hope as an ultimate thing, you do have to go, where is this entire story going? Mm -hmm. But where the whole thing is going is completely informed by who is at the wheel, which has overwhelming consequences for the present. Yeah. I I mean, anybody that's been in a church setting for at least a year is going to kind of like have the word and concept hope already worn out. Um, How many anchor tattoos or shirts have you seen in the last like three years of like this hope that is an anchor for our soul type things like this? It gets spoken about. Um, And to me, it gets, it gets 
mixed and kind of ephemeral too quickly. Um, there's sort of the three worlds that I view hope in. One is the the Christian hope, which is really speaking of what happens after you die. Then the second world that hope gets used in is the secular world. And it's like the the news story you were telling me about that about the rhino. Hope the rhino. Yeah, it was a news story of this rhino had survived a brutal poaching attack being sedated and having its horns and part of its skull cut off. And then these rescuers found it and it had survived these reconstructive surgeries. So naturally they named They named the rhino Hope. Unfortunately, when they had to revise the article, it was retitled, Hope the Rhino, who survived a brutal poaching attack, is dead. Ah, oh, just, you can't make this sort of stuff up. You, well, the the third that- area of, of hope that is like that, that personal world. Like those, for me, those are like the helpful three categories of where is it, how is it interacting with you and how, how are you experiencing it in the world in the case of Hope the Rhino? Like what's the hope for Hope the Rhino? Hope, hope the Rhino and maybe the rest of her species are being wiped out by poaching. And our hope with Hope the Rhino is that we can salvage her, his life and that they'll get another like you know five years and then they're going to die along with the rest of the species because we can't stop this. I like your three worlds. I like your, because we're in that middle world. We're in the everyday traffic of hope, which is hope, as I kind of think of it as a nonprofit slogan. But what it describes is that human beings improve over time. Oh, yeah. It's the billboard for Obama, right? That's what I see that red, white, and blue, the iconic hope with the O. Which is funny because the thing that I, I don't think of Obama. I think of like how deeply the Victorian writers were ameliorist, simply meaning they thought, hey, the world seems to get better. And we are uh, seated in a position in time from which we can tell the Victorian writers. Yeah, nope. like dental hygiene <laughs> got better. Like uh, the being like, sorry, the human spirit does not improve on its own. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've got the... N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope, sitting here because we're talking about this. And I like that he touches on this world, that the thing that the world is offering is this idea of social progress. It's the thing that you were just mentioning, that like human beings over time through science and technology and even enlightenment as we uh, understand philosophy better, um, we are going to make the world better through these means. And N.T. Wright points out that that's just not true, that this is my paraphrasing, but that over time with our advancements, we just get more sophisticated with the ways that we do evil. You have the world wars inflicting more damage and more casualties. You have the weapons that we have today. Like that, that's not necessarily making the world safer and neither are our tools of technology. We just find new and increasingly horrific ways to make evil possible sex trafficking's at an all-time high. Slavery's at an all-time high. We look at these history class lessons of like, here's America during the Civil War and like, wasn't this horrible? And then we kind of try and like sort of wipe our hands and say, well, that got all dealt with and like slavery's done and you've like skipped just 
the trauma that's unfolding up to present day and that slavery is even so how do you go society over time is actually going to make the things of this world better uh, yeah, those tools the, don't work on their own. I know Wendell Berry in the book Life is a Miracle calls it the great myth of our age that progress, which he says in quotes, but uh, the development, political, social, and technological developments will solve the problems we don't even know we've created yet. And if you'd like to know why that doesn't really stand up to trial. You can read Wendell Berry's book, Life is a Miracle. So the corner here that we're building towards is that hope is an ultimate thing. It's an ultimate thing. And I was, you know, canvassing, canvassing, probably canvassing. You were was, going door to door. I was asking folks in our community over the past couple of weeks, when you think of hope, what are things that need to be said? And one theme was that hope is not casual. It's not for, guys, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm definitely not hoping in this wonderful meal restoring my soul. So when I say it's an ultimate thing, I mean that it comes out of sort of the, the basic questions of our existence, which I believe originate with who is God? Is he at all relevant to us? And if so, what are the consequences for us? Because this is the thing that is ultimately going to shape our destiny. Right. Yeah. And back to that, like three worlds that it exists in, there's the personal, the social, and the religious the, the social knows that we need help and the religious knows that we need help. And those two worlds start getting more and more intertwined and more and more disappointing. The, the less cleanly we're able to define them and the more that we sort of put like your hope in the, the redemption of all things is tied up in your hope of being able to solve some water crisis in some small town in Africa. Like when that fails or even when it succeeds and then fails somewhere else, because it, it will and it does, uh, all of a sudden your eternal hope is really shallow. And when you throw politics in with religion, it just gets really, really messy. And I would argue that most people do err on the side of like the hope for Thanksgiving type hope. It's like the, it is deep waters. And actually the deeper I go in there, the more disappointed I get because of things like Thanksgiving not going well or losing my dog or losing uh, this charity or the religion getting slapped on a political cause. Like it just, oh my goodness, it gets really, really messy. And I think you end up just hoping for the small things because the big things are too painful and have already been too disappointing by the ways that they were unclear in your own heart. And in the face of all this, we have the observed reality that what is revealed in the person of Jesus was actually satisfying and compelling in a world where everyone you knew was dying. It was a world saturated with death where 
uh, the sort of Roman generals were shortly going to lose practical control of the army and the sacking of the temple and the slaughter of the occupants of Jerusalem, of Paul going, man, we're getting our asses kicked everywhere we go. And yet, in that world, in a world that sounds a lot like the world we occupy, both the eternal promise of God and his everyday practical availability were so compelling that hope was happening inside the sort of engine of these people. Yeah, that's what I want to say is like really, (laughs) if you want to get us on a pessimistic rant, I think we've done that fairly well for the first 15 minutes. Um, But it's more of like the shaking people of it's not working. Admit that it's not working. When you have given up on the hope of your soul and of the world and of the restoration of all things, then the short-term hope doesn't work either. And then that's when you get your hopes really small. Um, However, in the case of what you're just naming, if that, if like what Jesus was offering is ultimately secure internally and and well-defined and well-looked at, then the short term is actually worth engaging and you do not lose hope when things don't go well. But things don't always have to unfold poorly because the kingdom is now and is coming and there is all of these stories of redemption and restoration unfolding now. But we don't get to create utopia in the meantime. Like all, We don't get to somehow reach this state of the new heaven prior to Jesus's return. Like what that's not going to happen. And so if that's what you're hoping for, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Another way I like to talk about this is to begin in the book of judges. Don't know when Jeez. which judges is just dying to be right now. They are making a movie about Samson that I already know is going to be terrible because I don't think that you can portray accurately the world uh, of the book of Judges and still have any Christians come see the movie. That's why I think that movie is not going to work. Because if you actually look sort of at, at this story of these judges rising up to restore Israel that then falls into darkness again, one, it looks exactly like our world. Two, it's like, Dark, 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 dark. You know, I'm on a the world's slowest ever progression through the Old Testament personally right now. But one thing I didn't I know, it's remember. Me several decades. So. About, maybe this world's second slowest, but one of the things that I didn't remember and that I've been do- using as like a pop quiz for friends is to go, hey, who's the last judge in the book of Judges? Who's the judge that closes the book? And it's a trick question because there isn't one. It's because the last chapters of the book are devoted to the assault and, you know, gang rape and murder of a woman whose body is then cut up and sent to various tribes as to shove in people's face the level of evil that is saturating their world. When I reminded a friend that that was the last story in Judges, his response was, oh, I forgot about that because I block it out from my memory as often as I can that that's in there. And I go, well, hang on. Look at the look at what happens here. You have in the structure of this book a trope set up where 
you describe the descent into darkness and then a judge comes. And then at the end of this book, you have the descent into darkness and the darkness gets deeper and deeper and there's tribal warfare, there's ethnic cleansing going on at the end of this book and you're waiting for the last judge and he doesn't come and it hits you or it hits me in like the very site where I live where it goes, is there every day help available? What is the answer here? Then you turn the page and you find yourself in the book of Ruth. If you ever want a quick read, Ruth, that'd be a good one. It's like three pages long and, you know, these two women, husbands die, Ruth stays loyal to her mother-in-law, they go back to tribal Israel, they end up on the land of this guy who's a pretty good guy who goes, don't leave my land or you'll be assaulted and killed. And she stays and he redeems her. End of Book of Ruth. Except it goes, by the way, you know, they get married and together they father Jesse and Jesse ends up fathering David. And if you've been following the story to this moment sort of sequentially, you get the Christopher Nolan film score bass drop in the background where it's just this and and it goes oh my gosh we have darkness we have the end of the story in darkness and then we have by the way the king who is going to prefigure the king is on his way and there's just kind of this like stirring oh my gosh about the reality that God comes and that the one that we've been longing for all the way through the Old Testament, but significantly, I think, for me, most significantly at the ends of the books of Deuteronomy and Judges, you're like, he is coming. This is actually going to change everything that we feel about the world. This is going to change the kind of place we think the world is. So, Blaine, as you talk about this, uh, I'm aware of, I, I, I'm someone who can look at life as a story, my own life, other people's lives. Um, I think that's one of the gifts that Dan Ellender has begun giving me. That he just, when you're in a room and you hear stories, imagine that you're reading it. We had some friends over the other night and they were telling us, one guy in particular, how he was a really, really clean kid who just happened to be crazily allergic to dust and like of his siblings he was the most clean and I was kind of like why like, why does that happen like that's just that, that's absurd there's a beaver at our zoo here who has a, is allergic to wood who's allergic to wood like this is just stupid like that's a bad joke but it's reality and I'm someone who's at least learning to look at life as stories and to see the larger story there. So I can go, okay, yeah, like I have to have my hope rooted in something that's coming and a turning from destruction and towards this resurrection. Reincarnation isn't good enough. Floating in clouds playing harps is okay because it gets us away from the mud, but that's still not really good enough. So I'm able, I'm someone who's able to like do all that. And yet, if I'm honest, in the day-to-day, I am just kind of thinking of the day-to-day. And I am kind of just letting that boxing match unfold. And it is a boxing match. And I do I do appreciate that there are categories that Dad has mentioned in All Things New of like you can have these small category hopes and like that's okay. 
that's good. You want to be cultivating it there, but don't let it stop there. Like in the case of Thanksgiving, it's good to be like longing for these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And even let the disappointment that's going to come direct you towards what you're actually longing for. However, in the day-to-day for me, man, we've talked a lot about soul care. We've talked a lot about the ways that like the practicalities unfold. This podcast was born out of the, uh, it's time to check the oil. It's time to look under the hood again and go, the fruit of a lot of what is unfolding in politics, in the world, in your own life, should be, could be, is, in many cases, leading to hopelessness without us actually saying those words. And so how important then to go like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, where is this again? Like, where, where is the hope? Where, where is that unfolding? A little piece here from NT writes, surprised by hope. It's so good because it's addressing the, like the world again in the ways that the world tries to use hope and doesn't work. And then what do you do? This is why the relentlessly modernist and progressivist projects that the politicians feel obliged to offer us vote for us and things will get better have to be dressed up with the relentlessly postmodernist techniques of spin and hype. In the absence of real hope, all that is left is feelings. Ooh. And like, while that is, oh, that's, that, that feels very true. And I'm even using the word feelings. Like, in the absence of real hope, all that is left is feelings. And if you are experiencing that, as I wager that you might be, that is maybe one of those flags that real hope is being lost. Yeah. I'm struck by, as you talk, the reality that there are only two tracks for the human heart, and you're either on track to increase hope, to live a life where hope is increasing, or towards hopelessness. Hopelessness often uh, represents itself as denial and dissociation, but those things are just hopelessness with a facade. Were you to ask someone how they were doing or what lets them get out of bed every morning and it's something like, you know, you just got to keep going or I just don't think about it a lot. Sometimes you got to keep going. I'll go, that is in certain seasons okay. It really is. There are a lot of seasons where that's the only thing available. That is not enough for a lifespan. And when you talk about what's this look like in the everyday, I think you're right. I think that the care for hope does include lots of regular, as dad calls it, casual hoping. I think that's really important. So I'm going to soften my earlier jab at Thanksgiving and go, yep, lots of Thanksgiving, Friday night, Saturday morning hoping is great. And and it can't be the only in thing. the cultivation of hope, I would say uh, like a question I love asking late into the evening of of meaningful conversation is, where does your vision of Jesus come from? What is fueling your vision of Jesus? That, I think, is for most people and me a lot of the time, a question without an answer. Or it's almost a question that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? What's fueling my vision? I mean, I, I have spiritual rhythms and they're spiritual because they include Jesus. Like what? And it goes, oh, okay. 
Wow. Mm, down to the ages, most Christian saints, and by most I mean the Christian saints, have understood that regular contemplation of the person of Jesus and rather regular experience of Jesus is the bread and butter of the spiritual life. Yeah, it feels like this. there's a lot of I don't know, just different avenues that this podcast is making me want to dive into. And we've had a podcast on depression and anxiety percolating for a while um, because it is some of the questions that I, I kind of feel myself asking in the midst of this. It's like uh, I want someone's takeaway to be, oh, yeah, like I'm going to be a much better force in my own world for myself, for my family, for the things I want to bring change to when my hope is placed well and cared for well. Otherwise, you're going to get the crap kicked out of you. Yeah, the, getting out of bed this morning was really hard. Like, Yeah, there needs to be the permission that there's enough to dreaming of a future where you are not under the storm clouds and where you are healthy and happy. Like That's enough of a hope. That's, that's, that's not a bad thing to hope for. Um, and I, another quote here from surprised by hope that I feels like where this one is trying to be focused in on is, is this hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful and the unscrupulous do not after all have the last word, the same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. That's so huge. You know, I'm thinking around uh, this concept of how do you how do you become N.T. Wright, <laughs> whose worldview For real. is so stoked and robust that he can write a book on hope to a world that he is able to evaluate frankly, and go, it's not working. And yet, just a minute ago, I was thinking, man, what are some of the things that do this most for me? Yes, one is absolutely understanding the worldview. And the first 50 pages of Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy will do that. I think another thing is it's helpful to have a guide through the story of God, the larger story going on. One of those for me has been a guy we had as a podcast guest, Brian Hardin's Daily Audio Bible, which is kind of, for me, built on the fantastic premise that if you read the Aeneid, there's enough there that you'll like it. However, if you read the Aeneid with someone who is steeped in the classics and understands what's going on, your enjoyment of it will be infinitely multiplied. Ditto a walk through the Bible. If you do it by yourself, there's enough there. And the Holy Spirit is your guide that it'll be good. And if you do it with a seasoned guide who is being transformed into a loving person by the regular encounter with the living God, that kind of person becomes someone who you want to ask, what do you love about this? Point out to me. The Daily Audio Bible is currently in Ezekiel, scariest of all the prophets, and having Brian riff on what's happening in Ezekiel and how it reveals the nature of God has been incredibly hope-stoking. And I think a key one is suffering, because I just went, man, where, where does this stuff become really, really concrete for me? 
and it is watching Jesus come for people in their darkness, like having the opportunity to walk with people through hard seasons that are into which the love of God is coming. Because I like to talk about the prophetic nature of the Psalms and the fact that over and over, the reason the psalmist is worshiping the triune God is because the triune God is able to infiltrate death. I think it's 137. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The dark shines like the day. That's not just a pretty verse. That is crazy when you go, oh my gosh, you are not a foreigner or a stranger to the darkness or even those who have gone down to dust will kneel before you or I could make my bed in hell, you would be there. There's the ability of God to enter darkness and death and actually provide completely sufficient answers in himself and then prepare and help walk out a way out. That's Jesus's wheelhouse. And that's the thing that makes him more compelling than anything else. So it's interesting to think that it's actually in my life, sort of the current experiences that would lead towards despair. It's the current experience of difficulty where God is present that are most stoking the worldview of the ability of God to transform this darkness and therefore stoke hope. Yeah, for me, that's been one of the more profound experiences, um, being in a community of people that are experiencing loss left and right, dear friends, parents, brothers, children, and to have them gather and weep and name it as as true loss and as true separation for a time and how debilitating and crushing that is. And in the midst of that, that they're still turning towards Jesus to me is like one of the best reasons to be a believer because it doesn't feel cheap. One of the verses that um, Tim has thrown around in moments of that is this one from Hosea. It's 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Woof. One last story that I think of that illustrates the ability of God to infiltrate and transform darkness and therefore stokes hope. The loss of our first family dog when we were kids, that was actually massively painful. Scout, this key piece of our youth, in many ways an inimitable, an irreplicable golden retriever. Every golden retriever is pretty awesome, but Scout was special And not just us, in just sort of the way that when someone describes a really great dog, you have to acknowledge, wow, that dog is revealing what dogs should be. Scout was like that in his playfulness and how massive he was and how great he was with kids and us as kids. And so when he died, it was like concussive. And in the spot that we prepared up on the hill for him, when we were raising this cairn over him, uh, the last rock that we put in happened to be this rock that was shaped exactly like a heart. 
It was this tiny, tender, intimate conveyance of love. Fast forward more than a decade, and I am off in the mountains, and I am building a cairn, not for a dog, but for a best friend. And because I didn't want to disturb the alpine tundra where I was, I was, you know, walking down to this riverbed, gathering rocks, three or four at a time, and hiking this hill and building this cairn. It was this ritual, lots of trips, lots of up and down hiking. And I come back down. Jesus tells me, you know, only three left, you know, because I was doing one rock for every year of our friendship. Jesus tells me, like, only three left. And I'm in the middle of responding to him. Well, you better make them good ones when, like, my eyes fall on a rock that is the perfect, most insane heart rock ever beheld by human beings. And I end up searching this whole riverbed for another one, not to see if it was really Jesus giving this gift, but because I wanted to enjoy the telling of the story that much more. wanted to be like, folks, I searched up and down this creek. This was the one, and it was in this one moment, and it was the tenderness of God coming into pain in this absolutely transformative, fundamental way that like met me in my history of need. And that is what Jesus is brilliant at. And it is because he is brilliant at that, that he is worth increasingly putting hope in. 